Rebels need your help. Build us more ships. Lego and Star Wars join forces for the first time. So you can build authentic Lego X-Wings and Y-Wings. Only you can help Luke and the Rebels defeat Darth Vader and his TIE Fighter and save the galaxy. You did it! You saved us! Lego Mania! Lego Mania! The new Lego Star Wars collection. Each set sold separately. Ah, Star Wars! Nothing but Star Wars! Give me the Star Wars! Don't let them Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and a galaxy far, far away. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me on this episode to talk about Star Wars Legos is my best friend in this or any other world, the co-host of DC OCD Cast and The Gary Show, Mr. Paul Hicks. What's up, Paul? Well, I'm going to hold you to that best friend thing. <laughs> I would throw any of the other fire and water guys into a volcano before you. <laughs> Some of them would be highly flammable, I imagine. Um, <laughs> don't know what that means. Anyway, <laughs> before we get started, I'm gonna I'm gonna berate you. Okay. Why are you calling it Legos? Is there an S on the end of it anywhere? Anyone? Uh, good question. That's just something I've always done. It seems to be an American thing, because, uh, I, I mean, I've been around Lego my whole, whole life, and I've only heard Americans say Legos, and I, I don't know why that is. It's uh, Yeah, the official know. brand, the official name is Lego, yeah. and I've, I guess that could be the collective plural for, like, all the Lego blocks and all the Lego pieces. I, I don't know, for some reason, ever since I was a kid, I called them Legos, like it was a, like yeah. it was a collection of them. Huh. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can train it out of you. <laughs> okay, we'll see. <laughs> get out of, by the, that'll be my goal by the end of this. Uh, by the end of this episode, to not subconsciously think of them as a plural form with with an S, but as a collective. So. Well, I, I I am excited about this. Uh, this is a fun topic that really never occurred to me to discuss this until I saw you post pictures of a Lego set of such stunning beauty that I had to have you talk about it. What did you recently acquire, Mr. Hicks? Okay, so um, recently it was my birthday, and um, I received the Moss Eisley Cantina Lego set. Um, and I received it in optimal circumstances because to be given this, there's no guilt. There's no guilt at all. If I'd bought it myself, I'd be racked with guilt but, uh, <laughs> because I've received it this way. It's oh, it's just a delightful thing that um, my family gave me. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, um, it's a huge set. It comes in a, the biggest Lego box I've ever seen from, well, ever owned, definitely. Um, it's aged for 18 plus. So um, I'm glad it's not a measure of maturity because I'm not mature enough for it, but I am old enough. So how many pieces? Three thousand, three thousand one hundred eighty-seven pieces. Whew. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a big bad boy, and uh, yeah, I'll just describe the scope of it. So it, it is the entirety of the Moss Eisley Cantina. Now I've seen people who have the Death Star set. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really big, it's impressive, but it's um, it's bullshit. It's not the scale, <laughs> is it? <laughs> 
if you get the Death Star set, you know, it's not really the movie Death Star set. You're just fooling yourself. You know, you're living in a fantasy. Whereas this is actually the complete cantina in scale with, um, yeah, it comes with 18 minifigs. 18, and, uh, 18, yeah. I love that. that that'll, like... If it w- if it just came with that, I would be like jaw on the floor, like oh my god, that is the greatest thing ever. But the fact that there's a whole buildings plural around it is amazing. Yeah, so it comes with the cantina building in um, in a sort of a version I've never seen because I mean it's you see outside, then you see in the set, and you know reverse angles and things like that. You're not really sure the scale of it and what its structure is inside. And in this way, you see the whole thing. Mm. And they even had to invent like a back room for it um, with storage stuff. Um, and it comes with two outbuildings. Uh, I was going to say outhouses, but then I don't think they're toilets. Um, and it comes with two moisture evaporators of different scales. It has a uh, a very snazzy speeder. Um, well, we, you'll have um, pictures with this post, won't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it comes with a Jubak, um, just about every single figure you can think of in, involved with the cantina. So, <sighs> Okay, okay. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, and we want to hear much more about like the building and like some of the details, but l- let's let's go through those 18 figures because this just blows okay. my mind. So one at a time, who do we have? Who is included in this set? All right, so you've got R2-D2, uh-huh. C-3PO. Yeah, you're familiar with them. Uh, it comes with... I'm going to lose the names of some of the... Uh, Luke, um, Ben, um, Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi, or General Kenobi, depending on how you come at it. Um, it has Walrus Man and Dr. Everzan. Yep. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yep. Doctor. Yep. And, uh, yep, it has two stormtroopers in their sort of desert gear, one with the or, uh, orange shoulder pad and one with the black shoulder pad. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. Um, and one of them is de- decked out to ride the uh, Jubax, so he has a great big long sort of lance thing. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, it has the uh, devil-looking guy. <laughs> oh, I can never... I, I think of him as Labria, which I think was like his his name in like the Tales of the Most Icely Cantina book, but I think they maybe changed his name later on, for like in the post-Legends or something. But yeah, the, yeah, the Deveronian, yeah. Yeah, oh, Deveronian. That's the species name, Deveronian, yeah. Yeah, well done. I'm impressed. Um, It comes with uh, Hammerhead. Oh, the Athorian, my favorite, yep. Yep, yep. yep. Um, The little sort of bat-looking guy. Uh, Cabe, who's a Chadrafan, is the species, yep. Yep, uh, he's shorter. Um, It has the Imperial Spy guy with the long nose. Grindin, yep, yep, the Kuban. (laughs) <laughs> I, you can you can tell I'm gushing over this because like that like of all of the settings of all of like the locales like like the the cantina has always been one of my favorites like you know like that's, yeah no that's, it is it is a very cool set uh-huh. um, and it has uh, I think the bartender and Greedo okay yep. and the band right <laughs> yep three band members and a little oh wait hang on I've got the box here it has all the names so let's there's a little lizard guy called Herchek Kalfas. <laughs> yeah, uh, you were right, Cabe. Oh, there's a Java. There's a Java. There's a Java. Yeah. Um, it's got the three Bith musicians who I believe it's jizz they play. Is that the music? <laughs> That's, it used to be once upon a time the the music was called jizz, and then somewhere along the way it was like <laughs> you can't say that, so they call it jats. It's like jazz with a T instead of it. Um, yeah. Now the fact that there's only three of them that might mean you need to buy a second cantina set to get to get more of them because I think there were four, there were five or six members of the band. Yeah, I think they're on a toilet break or something. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <I'm> smoking. <laughs> 
Yeah. So that's all the figures. So yeah, I think I've named them all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, Hammerhead's called Momor Nadon. Yep, yep, yep. And yeah, the devil guy is Labria. Yep. And the bartender is called Wuha. Yep. Wuha. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. yeah, that's all it comes with. <laughs> I, I am so jealous because right now I'm looking at three count them one two three Star Wars Lego figures. So. Um, oh wow. I, I want to do a lot more details about the the set and the things that you got, but um, just sort of curious about your history with Lego. I'm saying it with Lego, um, in in general, and I can I can speak to my own like. My brother uh, collected Lego once upon a time when he was younger, and I, one of the, the stories that we often retell in my family is when I was very little, like one or two years old or something like that, um, I would I would go into my brother's room when he was at school or something like that, and he had these Lego, like they were, it was like the Lego space you know, like set up before oh, they yeah. had the license for uh, for Star Wars or anything like that, but it was like space stations or the cities or something like that or the castles and nights. And I would trash them. I would just pull them apart because I was fascinated and I was little and, and I would just destroy them and he would come home and he would be so mad that my mom let me into his room to do that. Um, but eventually... Eventually, he would forgive me, and he would rebuild, like, the structures and just kind of, like, just make them bigger, but not, like, according to any scale or any rules. He would just make big Lego buildings or something like that. And yeah. then he put me... Remember back when, like, babies had those little, like, like training walker strollers that were, like, just, like, a little, like, basically you sat in a saddle and there were wheels on all sides? They yeah, stopped, like, they, like Davros. Yeah, yeah, they stopped making these available because, like, like, apocryphally, like, kids, like, fell down the stairs or something like this. They end up being more dangerous. Um, but I had one of those, and he would sit me in that, and I would sit with my legs crossed so that they weren't dangling. So I basically had no propulsion of my own. I was just sitting there on these wheels. And he would race me down the hall, pushing me, because his bedroom was at the end of the hall, and with the door open, he would just fling me into his room, and I would smash through these Lego sets, and pieces would just fly everywhere. And I would howl and laugh and everything. Again, I'm like two or three years old, and this was like one of the most fun things that I could ever possibly experience. And this all came because, you know, I, I, I ruined his Legos, I trashed them, and he hated me, and then he forgave me, and like we, we made a game of it. So that was kind of like my earliest childhood experience with Legos. And then maybe uh, it was probably like when I was like in middle school. So sometime in the early to mid 90s, I think I could be getting the dates wrong or something. And by this point, like there's just I haven't I've kind of fallen out with G.I. Joe's might have been canceled at this point. The main line of G.I. Joe might have been canceled and I or I was falling out of that and wasn't getting any other toys. I did start to get into Legos myself. Because right around time they Lego. Up, sorry, sorry, Lego. <laughs> um, they opened up a new set. They had they'd always had the city and the knights and the space, and for the first time they had Lego pirates. And I think it was a birthday or a Christmas when I got this giant pirate ship uh, of Lego, um, and that was really really fun. Um, but then kind of fell out of it and maybe in college, like early 2000, like once they, when they first got the Star Wars license, I do remember getting a snow speeder and the rebel A-wing fighter, just kind of on a whim, just kind of crazy and, and just like put them up for display and they were 
smaller and less detailed than the ones you can get now. I mean, I know they they've released like their their Lego has their like kind of super sophisticated collector edition of the A wing now, and this one was like. Did you get the one with Admiral Akbar? No, they both they they didn't like they, they weren't even doing like any like non-human figures or anything like this. This was back like just like they just had regular human pilots or like nothing nothing special or anything like that. Um, the speeder had two snow speeder pilots and and the A wing had one pilot. But uh, yeah, so God, I'm trying to think. This I, these were not 20 years ago. But, well, actually, it might have been 20 years ago. So I don't remember. But going. Yeah. What about you? What about you? So that, that's kind of like my going through my history. But what about like when did Lego kind of like enter your life? And I'm I'm the youngest child in my family, so Lego was just around. Um, but because I'm considerably older than you, there uh-huh. weren't minifigure sets. There weren't you know it was just construction blocks mostly, and uh, the things you would build would be pretty basic. So you might you know get a house, mm-hmm. but it was didn't have any of the you know the two bits. It was all you know four by twos and things like that it was all you know and there were very chunky windows and i think they were doing like big people who's um they had sort of articulated arms and uh pretty lame no you know it was completely pre-minifig i remember i had like an oil tanker ship that i I played with heaps in the bath um (laughs) yeah but uh yeah no it it was just always around but it I did. This. I would watch Doctor Who or Blake Seven or something, and immediately try and build something that looked like it because there weren't, you know, spaceship sets, and so you're always trying to replicate something you enjoyed on uh, TV and things like that. Like uh, I, I did, you know, plasticine toys and spaceships and things like that, just because <laughs> we had no other options. Um, I think I probably stopped playing with Lego around the age of ten, maybe eight or nine or ten, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably transferred a lot of that interest into things like Star Wars and Micronauts and stuff. Um, but I, you know, I sort of observed the rise of Lego in having, they started to do the space sets and they invented the minifig and then you'd get more and more interesting sets. And I do remember when they first brought out Star Wars because I bought um, Luke's Speeder, which was, mm-hmm. you know, literally the cheapest one in the set that I would, could afford. And I've still got it in pieces somewhere. Um, I've still got the box and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Was that, that was probably about 25 years ago, maybe? I, th- I think so. I think it was probably in tandem when Kenner or whatever it was started doing, like the new, like the Power of the Force line, when they started re-releasing more Star Wars licensing and action figures, which was basically to build up hype for the expanded, the special editions, and then the prequels. So that was yeah. around ninety five, ninety six is when they started doing those. So that's probably yeah. when the Lego license, you know, got it. Yeah, that sounds right. So I, I occasionally, like, I was always into the DC sets when they started doing them. They're a lot, a lot later. Um, but I mean, if you're into Lego, the best thing to do is have children, because um, <laughs> you know there's an excuse to um, buy things. So uh, I literally have a lot of sets in my room that were given to my son that he sort of built, and then they sort of just got broken. And then he uh, he hates things that are broken, so he just put them away as soon as they're broken. <laughs> so I've been <laughs> gathering them up, and you know I have a great big box of them that I'm going to rebuild one day with the instructions because I made him keep all the boxes and uh, all yeah. the instructions, of course. Uh, nerd powers activate. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the older I've gotten, my family have sort of given me sets and things. So um, previously, like I've got the the giant sized Yoda. 
Oh, holding yeah. the lightsaber, you know that one? Yeah. Yeah, I've got the Razor Crest. I got that um, Did you? for nice. Christmas. Nice. Yeah. And, oh, I've got a um, an AT-80 walker. Okay. Very, which, cool. Um, Very cool. I've had for a, a few years now, so that's probably the biggest one I've had till this point. Um, but admiring Lego sets. I mean, I think the one that I, I re- really would have liked but didn't get was probably the Jawa Sandcrawler. Um, from well, it's probably about six or six or seven years ago now, or eight or something. But that was a beautiful set, and to scale, and really big and really expensive. Um, but uh, this one, we were in the Lego store before Christmas, and you know, I just went, "Oh, look at that! Look at all those minifigs!" And I made the mistake of doing that in earshot of my wife, so it turned up for my birthday. So. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm so easy to buy for. <laughs> But, I mean, this is an expensive set. I mean, this is, in Australia, this is $600. So. It's an expensive hobby. It's... Uh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that, that, I, and I was I was low-key kind of dreading Legos for, like, a long time, but Reese, he, he's... Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just a general, like, interest that he has or if it's something he'll... It'll be a phase or something, but, you know, he, he likes to build and he likes to put these things together. And he, he, you know, he gravitated towards those building blocks, like the big, like, mega ones that are, are like, a lot yeah. there. And now he is he has graduated from those and he has started to dig the uh, the Duplo blocks, which are, like, I, I think a, a subgroup of the Lego Corporation. I think Lego actually owns Duplo, too. Um, and mm. he's got tons of like Duplo train sets, like with the the Toy Story characters or, or Mickey Mouse and me, and like construction vehicles. But he loves nothing more than just like f- like throwing them together and Frankensteining some massive build like like vehicle like monster things like with like the crane hooks and, and the digging claws or something like for excavators like he just he gets into yeah. and starts and that's what I used to do as a child it's mm-hmm. I would always build whatever I wanted you know out of what I had but that's because I there weren't set sets whereas mm-hmm. um yeah I have noticed my son just builds what it is and that's it and then he puts it on display right <laughs> so you know yeah. whereas um you know and I don't have the time or uh, inclination to play with Lego anymore, yeah. but if I did, I mean, I, I watch things like Lego Masters. You know, you've got an American version, we've got an Australian version, yeah. and it's like, wow, I don't know how these people do what they do. It's you know, yeah. I'm not equipped to do what they do on those shows. Mm-hmm. So after after you you know you were showing me the the cantina, and we'll come back to it, and like we had arranged to to do this episode. You know, I was I was shopping, and you know we go down the toy aisle, and he finds like a Duplo set, like another another little set that he wants, and he's picked up the skill. I don't know if kids just pick this up naturally because this was always the thing that I did. But he said if he got a toy. Then I had to get a toy too, you know. He has, he liked that shirt. Sure, he wanted me to be happy with the toy, always knowing that he was going <laughs> to end up getting both of them. And I'm like, how did you learn this? This is what I used to do to my mom. <laughs> I was like, I, I used to say, yeah, I'll get this GI Joe, but Neil needs to have a GI Joe too, so we're both happy. And no, I was like, Neil grew out of GI Joes; they were both going to be mine. Um, but anyway, that is how I left the store with um, the newer version of Luke's Land Speeder too. So that was the uh, one that I right. got the Lego, um, and it is—it's it, a great looking set. And um, so it's the Land Speeder. It comes with Luke Skywalker, who has the the soft material um, poncho that you can put over the minifig. Yep. It also has C three PO. And it has like a little, se- like a separate piece. It's like basically a cave entrance with a Jawa. Um, so this one is the three minifigs. Um, and no kidding, 
I, I built this thing. It took. I mean, I was kind of distracted in doing it, but I mean, I, I don't even. I don't have the box right in front of me, but it's it's just a couple hundred pieces, and I built this thing yeah. in an hour or so. Um, and yeah. Reese just trashed it, destroyed it, like instantly. Once he got his hands on it, he just started pulling the pieces together. And every time he gets his hands on it, he does it, and I still have the instructions, and I keep all the pieces. So I have rebuilt this thing. Just in the few days, I have rebuilt this thing like six or seven times. And so I messaged Neil, and I was like, hey, all those times when I was like two years old and I trashed your Lego sets when you were at school... If I never apologized, I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> and he's like, I'm glad you finally said that. I think we can finally begin the process of healing this rift that's between us. So, um, I, I left there thinking, I was like, okay, you know, it's just it's just the one, you know, little, this was like a $30 set for, for the um, land speeder. I was like, that's, that's fine, you know, I'm not going to. And then as soon as I get home and put this thing together, I was like, oh, I kind of want more. Reese, do you want another one? So I've been thinking about some of the other little sets. And this sort of led me to to thinking, um, and this question, I don't want it to sound like it's a judgmental question because I know that would sound hypocritical, but thinking as an adult, what is the appeal of Lego and putting these things together? Now, I understand I'm asking, this isn't a judgment question because we're both collectors of comics and toys and and things that are considered to be childish by more mainstream people but like what do you like about it what what is the point of the the lego for you at at this point in your life uh there's probably a little bit of he who dies with the most toys wins (laughs) okay like it's lovely to be given this because i would have felt guilty if i'd bought it myself but now i own it and i don't have any guilt about it and it looks great it's on you know i've got it in a display cabinet which was just big enough to have it um and i find building lego very therapeutic i mean i find it a a stress release um just building lego and also i mean my son is 16 now so quite often i'll say oh do you want to do this bag and you know this came with 18 major bags which had minor bags as well so there was 18 numbered sections you know and he probably built about five of them Mm -hmm. with me or for me at different times so, I mean, it's kind of a bonding thing, yep. and it's fun, and I don't know, you're just making something take shape out of this pile of pieces. It's, it's you know, it's a really good feeling. And it then, is, you know... Yeah. I, I totally agree. That, that feeling of construction and of accomplishment and seeing something get done piece by piece and building... And what you said, the, the sort of therapeutic release. I don't know if, like, I could actually feel the endorphins releasing as I was doing it, but um, <laughs> I, I posted something, I, like... Uh, God, maybe six months ago. It's it's hard to judge time anymore in COVID-adjusted terms. But yeah, um, yeah. I put together a puzzle like on the floor for like the first time in thirty years, maybe. I don't I don't know. But just like my like Reese just dumped like I don't know. He found some puzzle of like a, a painted Italian, you know, like a street on Venice or something like that, and just dumped it on the floor. And instead of picking it up and being mad. I just decided, you know what, I'm going to put this thing together because I've got a couple hours to spare. And I did, and it was just calm and, and soothing and kind of relaxing. I felt that same thing when I was just when I put this thing together. There is something about just like the meticulous little piece by piece following the instructions and seeing just a collection of pieces with no discernible shape or form 
turn into something that you can identify and recognize and just like that that sense of accomplishment it is very stress relieving and, and therapeutic and uh, yeah it's a great feeling so uh, yeah i'm glad that you were kind of on the same wavelength because you, you basically answered the same way that i wanted yeah and i had i've got like a tray which is sort of sunk and so all the pieces are in that and then i had a, a <laughs> A sewing table, which is basically a collapsible table on wheels. It's very thin <laughs> and long. Um, but, I mean, it's it's great for watching, uh, eating in front of the TV and stuff. So I was using that as well. And then I found another tray because as I was building it, it just kept expanding how much space I needed for it. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it, it was... You know, mostly my wife would be watching whatever she wanted and I'd just be sitting there, you know, twiddling away with Lego. So it, it took me probably about two weeks to build it, but I wasn't doing it every night. And, yeah. you know, I went away a couple of times for the weekend and things like that. So it was just something cool to come back with, Well, to come uh, back to. Yeah. We, we've, I've been dancing all around it for a couple of minutes, so let's let's get back into it. It's over 3,000 pieces. You've said 18 big bags of the pieces. Yeah. Start going into what are some of the details that you can describe for – and, and again, listeners, we will have pictures on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Um, but in terms of like going through the different the different scales, like what are some of your favorites? What are some of the intricate little details of the most likely cantina that they that they presented in the set? My favorite part is the bar itself. So the the whole construction is centered around the bar. So mm-hmm. the bar is you know is it's a very long it's like a, a long tongue depressor in the middle of the um, <laughs> the set. But the set is sort of hinged around it, so the whole set opens up on either side and the bar sort of sticks out in the middle mm-hmm. on its own. So you can, you know, set up little... Um, who would do this? Who would set up their toys to look cool doing cool things, <laughs> Brian? <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine. Yeah. yeah, so the bar itself is really cool. It's got, you know, drinks everywhere. It's got all that weird sort of piping that's... Um, Behind the bar, you know, it all looks like uh, some weird still in the middle of the room. Um, the IG88 yeah. helmet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Yeah. yeah, and then there's sort of um, booths down either side, um, but one side has like the bandstand for the band, um, and there's a major entrance at the front, which has the sort of droid scanner thing that um, yes. loops yep. when the guys come in. Uh, and then it has a back entrance, which they constructed for this, like it's not seen in the movie at all, but um, it has another sliding door that go- slides up, but there's a little sort of back room for the bartender there as well, which is, I think, the only part they really just made up from scratch because it didn't I exist. Mean, I don't know if they like actually used like, setting or designed blueprints from the movie or something, but I want to say like one of the role-playing game supplements in the 80s did like a pretty pretty thorough like outline of every part of every inch of the bar so i wonder like it would included like back stuff that you never see on screen and i don't know if they made it up themselves or if they got it from like the set designers or something um but it wouldn't surprise me if the the lego instructions are basing it on some of those those schematics from like the role-playing games yeah yeah that would make sense but um when it's closed up it has sort of a skylight structure on it so and when you open up you can remove the skylight frames um just Mm -hmm. to look in and all down the sides there are removable roofs above every little section so um you know there's two chairs set up for um han and greedo and they actually have little um 
pivot bits on the outside wall so you can tip one out of the chair. You can have um, Greedo shoot for it first if you want, or Hans shoot first. So. <laughs> Han. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, there's lots of neat little bits, and I, I kind of love the aesthetic of it because the, the walls are sort of imperfect. They've got bits where there's sort of holes in the wall and different colored bits and everything. So, uh-huh. it's all, I mean, it's, it's almost a sand color, but there's sort of brown bits every now and again. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's kind of random. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's very pleasing. The, yeah. the little, the tiny little cave thing that the, that the Jawa sits in on my set is that, is like that too. It's like three different colors or shades of that sort of tan or off brown. Yeah. Yeah, you better send it to me. It sounds like it wants to be with my set. <laughs> it, de- it definitely does. I was thinking there's like a there's another kind of cheapish set that I might get. Uh, is like it's Obi Wan Kenobi's hut, um, and I think just like just like your uh, the the cantina, I think it like basically it's on hinges and it opens up to kind of like reveal. Um, but like the inside, like if you close it all up, it's like the size of like a softball or something like that. So I'm I'm sure it's like like a twentieth of the size of the cantina. But like it does open up on the hinges the same way as yours. So, mm, um, yeah. what are you mentioned that there are like additional buildings, additional structures besides the main bar cantina area? Can you describe those? Yeah, one of them is um, it's like a tool shop. So it, it just has lots of tools around it. Um, Features on the inside, so there, there's um, weapons and things inside that are connected to clips on the wall yeah. um, and pipes and brooms. And the other one looks like a sort of um, a kiosk, so it actually has a sort of tattered awning above it. Um, looks a bit like a Flintstones awning. Mm. Um, it has a dome that opens up on top, but you know it has lots of um, binoculars and bits and pieces for sale and scattered around and and. The booth section, you can put a figure inside at the at the counter, basically, and it looks pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're the main... Bu- they actually connect to the main building if you want, so you can have sort of connected like a trail off the back of it. Um, Create a sense of yeah. like the, the, the city of Mos Eisley around the bar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Jewback is sitting in sort of like a, a pen, yeah. um, and he has like a water trough, and that also connects to the side. And the moisture evaporators connect to the corners as well. And then there's uh, two speeders. So there's there's one that looks like a very snazzy yellow and white one with um, sort of three jets on the on the spoiler at the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's one which is like a um, a pod. So it's sort of it's round and it's got sort of black bits on the sides. And apparently it's Greedo's speeder. And it looks it doesn't look like it. It looks like it's meant to fly straight up like part of a shuttle or something rather than zoom along the ground. But uh, according to the description, that's that's Greedo's. So I do remember seeing that in Star Wars just in passing. But um, but I I, never dwelt on it and thought, oh, who owns? I can can picture what you're talking about. I don't know if I've ever heard it described as... Do you picture it? Yeah, I've never... I don't think I've ever heard it described as Greedo's, but interesting. Yeah... So he came with that one, and uh, the pictures had him inside it, so which is different. Hmm. Yeah, and it's weird as like you build the speeders; they're like individual Lego sets that you would buy on their own. <laughs> it's they're part of this, and oh yeah, no, yeah, that was it, one of the things I was it's like, a good size. Yeah, I, that was that was another one of the things I was jealous of when I was looking at. It. I was like, wait, it comes with that too? Why isn't that sold separately? I could have that one too. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I love that again. Like since, since I was a very little kid, like that, that's just of all of the things of Star Wars, that was the, just when they walk into that room and you just see all of those aliens, it just blew my mind. Uh, and just the fact that there would be a place like this in this, you know, space fantasy, you know, Western thing that just, oh, I, I dig it. So yeah, the fact that they made the Lego of it, I, that is supremely cool. And the, the fact that they put the, the attention of, of the different speeders and the, like the sub, like the, the, the different buildings and, and kiosks where like Luke sold his speeder and, and like the, all the 18 different like minifigs and everything like that. That's, yeah, that's so, so very, very cool. So. Yeah, so there's not really many um, denizens of the cantina who aren't included. I mean, the the fluffy white guy with um, black eyes and the little straw-like mouth isn't there, and um, I think there's a couple of cone-headed women who aren't there, but, you know, generally there's not much that isn't there, so... We'll have to hope that LEGO does, like, an expansion pack or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes, but... uh, yeah, I, I've got it on display. I think I'll keep it on display for as long as I can, and then maybe one day I'll bust it all down into its bag, into you know snaplock bags, and put it away, and you know rebuild it when I've got Alzheimer's and I can't remember making it or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got another couple of weeks to to do it, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds very very cool. I, I love it. Um, I'm glad. Just the fact that you posted it, and I just I got this bug. I was like, I want to talk about those. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is one episode of Star Wars Lego <laughs> Lego um, <laughs> for this podcast. Um, I think I mean in the future I might do more because I know Chris Franklin uh, and his daughter Danny really really likes Legos, and she did a lot of Star Wars Legos. I think um, so. Maybe maybe I'll have them on a future episode talking about some of their collections. Um, yeah, and, and who knows? I'm I'm sure this lane speeder was not the last one that I will get for myself too. So, yeah. Just before we finish, I will say the instruction booklet for it is um, very nicely produced. It actually has photos and text pieces in it. So you know, when you build a character, it has a little text piece about the character's background and you know what planet they're from and all those sorts of things. And uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it. Yeah, and it's glossy black, so every single fingerprint on it shows up immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it does have a nice bit at the start about who designed it, and you know, and photos from the movie. So, so it does. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Oh, that is very very cool. Um, well, uh, I do have a new version of the Galactic Questionnaire for you before we go. You should be primed for the first question based on this one. Okay, okay, um, cool. Because question number one is your favorite character or creature at the Mos Eisley Cantina besides any of the main characters or Greedo. So basically anybody who has a speaking line, take them off the table. Uh, Who's your favorite character okay. from the Cantina? Um, I'm going to go with the Hammerhead. Maybe ah. Nadon. Yeah, it's just, ah. a, just a classic. I, I mean, that's Star Wars. I mean, the first couple of times i saw star wars you know there was no internet there was no books or anything and you know i would just lie in bed and replay the film in my head and i you know remember being obsessed with that character in particular and it was one of the first star wars figures i i bought when that came around in the waves so yeah one of the one of the few figures from the original 70s line that that got the one of the few cantina ones that got a figure so yeah that's always been a popular one i i dig it yeah yeah 
All right, question number two. If you really wanted to antagonize the haters, I mean, really troll them, what beloved <laughs> franchise would you reboot with Kelly Marie Tran, a.k.a. Rose Tico, in the lead? Oh, I've been thinking a lot about the Highlander this week, so uh, <laughs> I'd probably make her the Highlander. Oh, I love it. That would be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you lost your Highlander virginity recently. I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I watched it about six months ago, but the episode just dropped recently, yeah, yeah. No, and you, mm. you know what? Don't just make her, like, an immortal. Actually, make her play a Scottish Highlander immortal. That would be it. A... <laughs> <laughs> she's still from she's still from Clan McLeod. Um all right. The third <laughs> the third question. You owe Jabba the Hutt a lot of money. Would you rather take a shot at one pod race to pay off your debt or run spending the rest of your life dodging bounty hunters? Oh, um I, I'm a coward, so I'd probably flee. Um I know I'm not well actually I drive in Sydney, so I am pretty aggressive. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, if it's like driving in Sydney, yeah, yeah, maybe I'd do the pod race. Yeah, I'm I'm good at slipping into gaps and honking people, um, <laughs> and I do often wish that my um, car had weapons on it. Um, so yeah, all right, all right, we'll do that pod race. <laughs> Just drive drive more like um, Saboba, be more like the aggressive guy who's like bumping <laughs> other cars. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I am the Saboba, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Paul, thank you very much for being on another episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Um, congratulations on that awesome, awesome set. You know, I mean, I might have you back again sometime in the future just to talk about the Razor Crest, because uh, that's one that I would like to see yeah. more. So. Um, until we talk again, where can our listeners hear more from you in the podcastosphere? Uh, I hope to be doing more podcasting soon. So I hope when we talk about Doom Patrol, I'll be doing it on Waiting for Doom with my friend Mike Garvey. Um, and hopefully there'll be something to talk about soon because it's getting a bit weird and awkward. Um, <laughs> we're just getting little bits of uh, season three casting, but that's that's all that's happening. Um, and I do DC OCD, which is also about to finish because we have reached... Uh, almost reached the end goal of that so I believe there's two episodes left of that and they should be out soon um, and then I'm toying around with other ideas or I'll mostly just slum it with people like you and just come on other people's <laughs> podcasts and uh, never have to edit again um, yeah that sort of thing <laughs> and I'm online mostly online on Twitter at reading underscore Hicks H-I-X all right, folks, we're going to take a promo break right now, but stick around because on the other side, I will have your listener feedback from the previous episode. Don't go away. I'm Paul. And I'm Mike. We do Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast. And we also do DCOCD, the DC Events podcast. And now we're doing another podcast called The Gary Show. People have asked us what The Gary Show is all about. It's about two friends talking. It's about mutual understanding. I don't agree. It's about our lives. It's about mistakes. It's about being real. But mostly, it's about 60 more minutes. Paul. The Gary Show, now on the Waiting for Doom podcast feed.
Alrighty, I am back, and I hope that everyone enjoyed this past Tuesday, Star Wars Day, May the 4th. While I did not do a Star Wars show on that day, I have dropped episodes on the Thursdays before and after, which is probably the only time I have done back-to-back weekly Star Wars episodes since way back when I did Dead Bath and the Spies in 2015. Last episode, my wife Angela guested with me and we discussed the story Hope Dies from the 2018 Marvel Star Wars issues 50 through 55. That turned out to be a pretty fun episode with a lot of listeners praising my wife's inclusion. Totally unsolicited, by the way. They just went ahead and told her that she was great without asking me if that would be cool. Anywho, the first comment came from David Ace Gutierrez, who said, Terrific show. Always great to hear Angela on the show. And you see, he just just says something like that, and then she reads it, and David doesn't have to live with the consequences, but, you know, I do, so... Mike Dane said, This was a super fun episode, everyone. It is always great to hear from Angela and you two together. Our Supermates 2.0. Ah, well, that is a very flattering compliment. Uh, personally, I think that John and Maggie Schaefer Hames, uh, their show is probably Supermates 2.0. Uh, Angie and I are closer to 3.0 at the highest. I'm not even sure that. Mike goes on to say, Shutorn and Queen Trios was an excellent storyline. I loved seeing how Leia acts through the whole thing, going from trusting in Trios with hope and then getting super pissed off. She doesn't exactly give in to vengeance, as she still has strategic reasons, but man, it was scary to see Leia pissed off, and it gave me a better picture of why she is such a great leader in the Alliance. I really enjoyed Kieran Gillen's entire run, as he really did set things things up to pay off later, and he was allowed the runway to do it. Good stuff. Uh, Mike says, I also agree with Angela that Screaming Citadel was fun. It gave me horror Star Wars, something I didn't know I wanted until I read it. Also, I would read anything with BT-1 and Triple Zero in it. Uh, yeah, those those are really fun characters. Um, as Angie alluded to, I think we will probably cover the Screaming Citadel storyline at some point. Uh, since it's a horror-themed type of story arc, I'm thinking maybe wait till October and do that around Halloween. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Next comment came from Chris Franklin from the famous original Supermates, as well as JLU cast and Superman Movie Minute right here on the network. Chris said, Fun show. It's always great when Angela drops by. You guys say that, but you don't know. You don't know. Uh, Chris says, your synopsis made me think you were describing a Star Wars film I had somehow missed, so I will have to check this story out. Yeah, highly recommend it, as that's the reason we covered it. Steve Givens said, this isn't typically one of my go-to shows on the network, but the summary of the Hope Dies storyline caught my attention, and I am immensely happy I gave it a try. I haven't read the story, so I don't have much to say about it, but your discussion makes me want to check it out. Thanks for bringing this cool story to my attention. Well, you are very, very welcome. All thanks to Angie, because really she she found it in her weird little way and, and brought it to my attention, but yeah. Uh, Paul Hicks, who you just heard me talking to a few minutes ago, said, This story sounds great. Canon-worthy. Yeah, probably, yeah. Paul said, he also, he forgot to leave a comment on the previous episode, which was about the High Republic novel, Light of the Jedi, and 
he he forgot to say that on the last episode he was disappointed the High Republic wasn't a Star Wars stoner comedy about Han and Chewie trying to get to Kessel. Dude, where's my Falcon? Ah, perfect jokes. I I would be lying if I hadn't thought of that same thing. So, uh, and Tim Price said, while I haven't read any of them yet, the modern Star Wars comics looked really interesting. Now they're definitely on the list, and I'll echo everyone else that it's great hearing you and Angela together. Fantastic show. I am sure she will be pleased and thrilled to hear your praise. Thank you, everybody. Um, before I go, former guest of the pod, Omar Yudin, alerted me to a Star Wars-related article in the Washington Post from back in December of 2019, so this was right when The Rise of Skywalker was coming out, uh, and the list compiles the top five best lightsaber duels in all of Star Wars. This list is objectively awful. Awful. It is just terrible. Out of the five slots... Three of them were from prequels, and one of them isn't even a duel. It's just Darth Vader cutting his way through the meat at the end of Rogue One. It's a terrible list. I'm embarrassed for the people at the Washington Post for putting that together. Well, you might remember Omar and I made our own lists of lightsaber battles, which we shared last year on episode 37. I've revised my list today, and I have added one and changed things. So, as it stands right now, my top five lightsaber battles are... Number one, Luke versus Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back at Cloud City. This is pretty obvious. On last time, this was at my number two, so I've actually bumped this one up where it should be. This is Luke's first confrontation with Vader in the carbon freezing chamber, and then it proceeds to different locations as, you know, we, we see him being tested and utterly failing. It culminates with the the trauma that he receives both physically and emotionally. Um, just amazing, amazing set piece, amazing battle, amazing climax of, of the storyline. And yeah, great stuff. Uh, this, so this actually flips. So now my number two, and I still love this so much, is Ray and Kylo Ren versus the Praetorian Guards in Snoke's throne room in The Last Jedi. Um, the, the color palette, the style, the fact that it's two enemies united as allies fighting, you know, eight different guys with all these different light weapons and everything. Just the choreography, the cinematography, the, the tension, like the the little things like when like Ray puts her hand on on Kylo's leg as he's kicking off. Stuff like that is beautiful, beautiful. Number three, Luke versus Darth Vader, the rematch in Return of the Jedi in the Emperor's throne room. Yeah, great stuff. So much there and so much build up to it and a worthy, worthy battle. Number four, this is the new addition that I am adding, and it is not from a theatrical feature film. The Ahsoka Tano versus Darth Maul duel in the Clone Wars finale. In the last couple episodes of the Clone Wars series, the, the finale, like the final four-parters, Ahsoka and Darth Maul have a battle in on the home planet of the Mandalorians. Uh, in this, uh, you know, it's another throne room. All of these battles in throne rooms. Um, but in this case, they actually, uh, you know, the, the team of animators motion captured this battle. Ray Park came back to do the motion capture for Darth Maul, even though he hadn't been doing the voice. Um, and another woman was doing the mocap for, for Ahsoka. They staged the battle. They, they choreographed it. And then the animators added little flourishes that, uh, to heighten it and make it more in the Clone Wars style. Um, but it's just a great battle, great setup, a lot of tension, lovely characters. 
Uh, very, very cool. So, And number five, then, uh, I think is Rey versus Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens, their first battle uh, on the, the Starkiller base in the, in the snowy woods. Uh, I just think that's perfect. So... Yeah, so that kind of boxes out then the the episode one battle with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. That would be the runner-up. Still, all lots of good lots of good battles, but yeah. Nothing from Revenge of the Sith. None of those battles. Yoda versus Palpatine is terrible. Anakin versus Obi-Wan is terrible. And I, I will hear nothing else about those. So. Anyway... Thank you very much uh, to everybody who wrote in and left a comment on the last episode. Thank you to everyone who supports this show by promoting it on social media. Thanks to everyone who listens, whether you leave feedback or not. I love it. Until next time. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at ryandaily01 or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. (laughs) 